Get ready to step into scripture with Tina. Hey everybody, welcome to Step Into Scripture. My name is Tina Wilson. I'm a pastor's wife and a mom of seven. Alongside my husband, Matt, I've committed my life to serving King Jesus as a church planter, a Bible teacher, an author, and an advocate for all-in family ministry, doing ministry all together with my whole family. I'm passionate about making Christ and His church famous, and I'm also passionate about helping people develop an open-ended commitment to reading the entire Word of God Genesis to Revelation and doing it again and again and again. That's the heart behind this podcast is to help people connect with scripture. And in this season, by answering questions that you have about scripture, because I continually advocate for full Bible read throughs. What I've found through the years is that often people come to cryptic or difficult passages in the Old Testament and they go ahead and check out of their reading plan. They think I'm not understanding this. I need not continue. And so in this season, season two of the Step Into Scripture podcast, we have been answering all sorts of questions Mm -hmm. that are submitted by listeners and viewers. And that's what we're going to do today. But before we jump into this week's question, Reagan, would you go ahead and introduce yourself? Yes. Hi, everyone. My name is Reagan. I work at our home church, Ecclesia Christian Church. And I'm our social media director, but in my time that I'm not at work or serving at church, I do my own ministry online where I address cultural topics and talk about uh, what the Bible has to say about them so people can submit topics or prevalent things going on or something happening in our society right now, and they'll say, well, what does the Bible have to say about this? So I'll study it, and then we'll talk about it, and we'll try to talk about, from a biblical perspective, what on earth is going on in our world right now. Yes. And Reagan's also my daughter. So this is kind of how we, one way we walk Mm -hmm. out this idea of all in family ministry. Now, Reagan, this is a great question for you to be Mm co-hosting because while this one rose out of a Bible study we're doing here at our own home church right now, we're doing a full Bible read through recently finished the book of Leviticus using step into scripture. Uh, This is a question that has been an an argument on social media Mm -hmm. since I was a social media director prior to you moving into that position. And, um, it, it's about Leviticus chapter 19. Yep. So Leviticus has all sorts of laws about being clean and unclean. We addressed that in last week's episode, Mm -hmm. um, laws about who you should sleep with, who Mm -hmm. you can't sleep with. And then you get to Leviticus 19, and your Bible heading may say various laws. Right. But it feels like a bunch of random commands that we don't really understand why they're there. And because we don't know why they're there, Mm -hmm. they can be used as an answer to commands that are very obviously for us still applicable today. Yeah. So something that I've encountered a lot on social media, and I'm sure so many people have, like you said, it's been something going on for a long time, is that people will use scripture from Leviticus 19 to try to negate or twist other passages in that chapter and the surrounding chapters. So here's an example. In Leviticus 18, it says for a man not to lie with another man the same way he would with a woman, right? And then in the following chapter, it says not to wear um, clothing that's made of two different types of fabrics, 
Right now I'm wearing leather pants and a cotton shirt, so already I'm breaking that one. And so people will say, here's an example. If uh, I address the topic of homosexuality, right? Somebody brings it to me on my channel and says, can you talk about this? And I use Leviticus 18.22, and I say, the Bible says a man should not lay with a man the same way he lays with a woman. And they say, well, the following chapter says that you shouldn't wear uh, clothing woven of two different types of fabrics, so what are you going to do with that? The point is that we don't use one verse to try to negate or cancel out what another verse says um, because we have to understand the context of when, why, and to who those verses were written. So if I don't understand the context of those verses, then I can't just quote them to try and make my point more valid. So really the point that I'm getting at in this is that Christians have to be equipped to handle the word of God if we're going to use the word of God. So when someone submits a question to me on my channel and says, Reagan, can you talk about this? Before I talk about that topic, I'm going to go directly and find out what the Bible has to say about that topic. I'm going to find the context of what the passage is talking about and make sure I have a thorough understanding of it because before I use the Bible as my answer, I'm going to understand what the Bible is saying exactly and not just say, well, this verse proves my point, so this is what I'm going to give you. I'm going to understand what all of the Bible has to say about it and give multiple teaching points so that I don't just say, well, the Bible's on my side, not yours. I'm going to find out exactly what it has to say, and then I'm going to use the Word of God with an understanding of the Word of God. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go all through Leviticus 19, and we're going to try to understand what it's teaching us here and understand that the topic that is prevalent all throughout this book is the topic of holiness. Right. So holiness is is related to what we talked about in last week's episode, Mm -hmm. the idea of clean and unclean. We found in our study of Scripture last week that those terms are used to describe the condition of something relative to its ability to be Mm -hmm. in the presence of God because God is holy. Mm -hmm. And so in order to be in God's presence, something had to be clean Mm -hmm. or holy. Mm -hmm. And so Leviticus 19 while it feels like a bunch of random rules Mm -hmm. that are culturally lost on us today. I mean, you read about not planting your field with two kinds of crops, Mm -hmm. and we are not primarily an agrarian society. And so contextually, we already are checking out. We Mm -hmm. don't know what to do with that. But Let's just go to the beginning of the chapter to start us off. Leviticus 19, 2, the Lord says, Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Mm -hmm. So we put that right at the beginning where it goes. And now we know, all right, everything that I'm going Mm -hmm. to read here, I'm going to read through the lens of God is teaching me how to be holy. He's teaching the Israelites in their time and place how to live holy lives. And while culturally, Maybe not everything computes for us. Mm -hmm. What we can do is find the heart behind it. But to do that, we really do need to understand holiness. So back in the book of Exodus, God gave Moses and the Israelites very specific, particular instructions, Mm -hmm. just like we find these specific, Mm -hmm. particular instructions in Leviticus 19. There they were about how the community was to build and worship in the tabernacle, this tent out in the desert. And so 
in the tabernacle, God set up levels of holiness in the construction. And Reagan has a photo that she can just show if you're watching this podcast rather than listening. But we'll talk about it here. The layout that God gave us for the tabernacle is a helpful picture of his attribute of holiness and his requirement for holiness. Because holiness in its highest sense belongs to God. Really, Mm -hmm. God is the only one who is holy. He is completely holy. And so in the construction and setup of the tabernacle, Mm -hmm. his presence was set apart. It was in the innermost space that was called the holy of holies. And you can see that if you're watching this on this picture, this holiest space, the inner room of the tabernacle. Mm -hmm. Now for us, we are not completely holy. We have all sinned. And so personal holiness is a work of gradual development. And so like, like there were levels Mm -hmm. that you had to move through in the tabernacle and only the high priest could enter one time a year into the Holy of Holies to make the atoning sacrifice. Mm -hmm. There were so many things he had to do to get to that place. And if he didn't do them, Mm -hmm. then he would die. Mm -hmm. That was a capital crime to enter God's presence in an unholy state. And so for us, it doesn't look exactly like this, Mm -hmm. right? Our context is different. We don't have um, a Levitical priesthood who is undergoing cleansing rituals so Mm -hmm. that they can attain to the level of holiness required to enter the presence of God in the innermost room of a tabernacle. But our pursuit of holiness is still a continual work. It's something that's carried out uh, under many hindrances, Mm -hmm. just from the culture that we live in, from our own desires that will lead us astray. It requires warnings, watchfulness, prayer, and perseverance. And the word that, that we can use to describe this is sanctification. Mm-hmm. That's the process of attaining to holiness in our lives. And a good way of understanding sanctification is it's not that I'm sinless, but that I sin less. Yeah. That's what this gradual picture looks like in our lives. So that journey, again, is pictured in the tabernacle, in the progressive levels of holiness, and then again in the temple construction Mm -hmm. and in the worship instructions that were given there. And then in the New Testament, the Hebrew writer recounts all of this in Hebrews chapter 9 and points it toward Jesus. So Mm -hmm. I would just encourage you to go to Hebrews 9, read through that chapter for a a more thorough New Testament fulfillment understanding Mm -hmm. of what this sanctification process looks like and how it's pictured in the tabernacle and in the temple. But to get a very practical picture Mm -hmm. of what holiness looks like in our lives, Leviticus 19 Mm -hmm. gives us all these very particular instructions and, and while on its surface, it might seem like just a bunch of random rules, mm-hmm. when we look at it through the lens of holiness mm-hmm. and the call to sanctification, that's how we can gain a clearer understanding of how we can apply these things so that we can actually participate in the sanctification process mm-hmm. in how we're living our lives. So Leviticus 19, again, verses one and two, let's just start there. The Lord mm-hmm. said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord, your God am holy. So we're going to just walk through mm-hmm. the 
elements that we find in this chapter and the applications of these to holiness in our lives. We're going to go through every verse to consider how it is that we are supposed to be holy. Right. So to understand how to be holy, we're going to look at all these different elements of holiness that are found in Leviticus. And our first one is separateness. So verse four says, do not turn to idols or make metal gods for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. So in the land that the Israelites came out of, which was Egypt, and in a land where they were going, which was Canaan, they would live among people who worshipped all kinds of different false deities, right. so all kinds of pagan and fake gods, but they were not supposed to take part in these practices. Many of these verses, we'll see the chapter emphasize the separateness that this holiness demands from us. So verse 5 when you sacrifice a fellowship offering to the Lord, sacrifice it in such a way that it will be accepted on your behalf. It shall be eaten on the day you sacrifice it or on the next day. Anything left over until the third day must be burned up. If any of it is eaten on the third day, it is impure and will not be accepted. Whoever eats it will be held responsible because they have desecrated what is holy to the Lord. They must be cut off from their people. So, God instituted ritual propriety to be observed in our worship. So a New Testament comparison to this is found in 1 Corinthians 14, where the Apostle Paul gives very particular instructions for worship in the first century church. Worship in the Old Testament was not, and in the New Covenant is not, to be tainted by heathenism, superstition, or human values. Yeah. Instead, we have to ensure that our worship is thoroughly scriptural, so that what is holy to the Lord is not profaned, and so that our worship invites blessings rather than punishment. Yeah. Verse 19 says, Keep my decrees. Do not mate different kinds of animals. Do not plant your field with two kinds of seed. Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. So keep your animals separate, keep your seeds separate, keep your material separate. And these are odd rules, really, but they emphasize a separateness that God wanted for Israel's holiness. So when God is saying, keep these things separate, keep these things separate, keep these things separate, what he is trying to say is separateness is important. Right. So verse 26, do not eat any meat with the blood still in it. Do not practice div divination or seek omens. Do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. Do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists, for you will be defiled by them. Or by them, I am the Lord your God. So, here again, pagan customs are forbidden. Um, like the example of shaving the hair on the sides of your heads. That was forbidden, not because God was like, oh, you can't cut your hair, right. but because that was a pagan custom and that was a pagan thing for people to cut their hair that way. And if you participated in those things, you were participating in pagan practices. I had a friend who reached out to me and said, Reagan, I am really concerned because I have this necklace and it has this blue eye on it and I just thought it was a cool design but all my friends keep telling me this is something that goes against Christianity should I keep wearing it and together we did a little bit of research to understand what the evil eye was and how the beliefs of the evil eye and that religion contradicted the beliefs of Christianity yeah. so I said even though it's just a necklace it's just a piece of jewelry because the belief behind it contradicts what you believe as a Christian don't wear it she said done she got rid of it because even though the piece of jewelry wasn't inherently bad, the belief behind the piece of jewelry contradicted what God said. So she said, well, I don't want to lead people to think that this is what I believe. So she got rid of it. 
that's a great so, example of, right. of just an easy application right. for how we can walk out separateness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So holiness does not emulate the godless culture around us, but it stands out as different from people, from how people of the world live. So like she didn't want to conform, but it, she didn't just say, well, it's just a necklace and people are going to wear it. So I'm going to wear it. She said, well, because God calls me to be different. I'm not just going to wear the piece of jewelry. I'm just going to get rid of it and do what God wants me to do. So we have to be in this world, obviously, because right now there's nowhere else for us to go, but we're not supposed to be of this world. So being in it and being of it are two completely different things. Just before his death, this is how Jesus prayed for his disciples in John 17, 14 through 16. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I am not of it. So Jesus is saying, even I'm in the world. The son of God was in the world, but he was not part of the world. He didn't take part in their practices. He didn't conform to their ways. He didn't do what they would do. He was in the world, but he wasn't of it. So that's the first element of holiness. Why are all these odd things in Leviticus 19? Because God is trying to communicate something to us about Mm -hmm. separateness. Right. And then another thing that we find him trying to communicate through these various laws is the need for integrity. Mm -hmm. That's another element of holiness we find in this chapter. So let's just look at some examples. Mm -hmm. Verse 11, 12, and 13, do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another, do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back wages of a hired worker overnight. Then verse 16, do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Verse 35 and 36, do not use dishonest standards when measuring length, weight, or quantity. Use honest scales and honest weights and honest ephah and an honest hen. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. So God has a lot to say about this. Integrity is associated with honesty. Mm -hmm. And I think a great uh, definition of integrity is just being the same person privately Mm -hmm. who you are publicly. So stealing, lying, deceiving, defrauding, withholding, whether information or wages from someone, Mm -hmm. slandering, all of these are unholy actions Mm -hmm. that do not invite God's presence in our lives and our community. That's Mm -hmm. what this whole thing is about. If we want to be in the presence of God, Mm -hmm. he is calling us to a standard of holiness. And to maintain that standard of holiness, to attain to that standard of holiness, Mm -hmm. to walk in sanctification, we're called to separateness Mm -hmm. and we're called to integrity. Mm -hmm. Now, a third element we find as as being required for holiness in Leviticus 19 is justice. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about this one. Verse 15 says, do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Now verses 20 to 22, if a man sleeps with a female slave who is promised to another man, but who has not been ransomed or given her freedom, there must be due punishment. Yet they are not to be put to death because she had not been freed. The man, however, must bring a ram to the entrance of the tent of meeting for a guilt offering to the Lord. With the ram of the guilt offering, the priest is to make atonement for him before the Lord for the sin he has committed and his sin will be forgiven. So let's just define this. Mm -hmm. Justice is divinely righteous action that promotes the well-being and equality of all humanity. That's what God is driving at with these very specific, 
specific instructions. Now, sometimes justice is served by vindicating the oppressed. That's what was going on in verse 15 that we read. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. So when we do not um, withhold justice from someone Mm -hmm. because they are poor and they don't have the ability to stand up for themselves, Mm -hmm. that is acting in a way that promotes holiness. Sometimes justice is served by punishing oppressors, and Mm -hmm. that's what we read in verses 20 to 22, where if a man sleeps with a female slave, well, this is an oppressed person Mm -hmm. who doesn't have the right to defend herself, and so the perpetrator has to be punished by someone outside of the situation, by Mm -hmm. a justice system, Mm -hmm. because the oppressed person who's been wronged does not have any ability at all to defend herself. So in either case, whether justice is served by vindicating the oppressed Mm -hmm. or by punishing the oppressor, Mm -hmm. the goal is always to return humanity to an equilibrium where wrongs have been made right and where the impoverished are returned to prosperity. And that's a restoration that God desires. Mm -hmm. Something beautiful in the early church in the New Testament, the book of Acts tells us that the Spirit of God was so powerfully at work among the first believers that there were no needy persons among Mm -hmm. them. This idea of justice and equality throughout all people Mm -hmm. was actually being achieved and attained in that first group of Christ followers that that came to him on the day of Pentecost. Mm -hmm. So as a side note here, the instructions that we just read in verses 20 to 22 about a female slave, those are hard to read while we're sitting here in 21st century Western culture. But it's important to note when we think about context that in other ancient cultures outside of God's community of Israel, slaves were given no rights. Mm And it's only a just and holy God who would, in his law, Mm -hmm. legislate the protection of slaves Mm -hmm. because his heart is for justice and Mm -hmm. he's trying to return society to justice. Mm -hmm. It's human mandates Mm -hmm. and human evils that perpetrate evils like slavery. Mm -hmm. It is not the word of God. So it's also too important that that what we read there in verses 20 to 22, that was a caveat that was added to the law for a particular circumstance where someone had already broken the given law. Mm -hmm. Because back in Exodus, in the seventh commandment, God had said, you shall not commit adultery. Mm -hmm. So someone sleeping with a female slave who had not been ransomed already, he has broken God's law. God here is is giving an additional command to deal with the mm-hmm. perpetrator that already broke the first law. Also, the, the 10th commandment says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall mm-hmm. not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male or female servant, nor his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important to recognize here God's heart for justice is he's not legislating servanthood. Right. He's legislating justice for the servant mm-hmm. in a condition where someone has already broken yeah. his laws that he's given prior to this. Right. So our fourth and most important element of holiness is also in Leviticus 19 and it's love. Yeah. So the laws given in Leviticus 19 don't just command us to love, but they teach us how to love by displaying the attributes of love. So the first is that love honors. Verse 3 says, Each of you must respect your mother and father, and you must observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. 
verse 30 says, Observe my Sabbaths and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. So love honors not just God, but love honors people. And that's why Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on to these two commandments, and that's Matthew 22, 37 through 40. But then verse 23 says, When you enter the land and plant any kind of fruit tree, regard its fruit as forbidden. For three years you are to consider it forbidden. It must not be eaten. In the fourth year, all its fruit will be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit. In this way, your harvest will be increased. I am the Lord your God. So just on its surface, this seems like farming advice. But it actually goes beyond that, and it's actually teaching us how to be good stewards of what God has given us and then crediting God with the increase that he has provided. Yeah. So we can express our love for God, and we can honor God when we praise him for what he provides to us. Yeah. And the next element of love is that love protects. Verse 14 says, Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God, I am the Lord. Verse 29, do not degrade your daughter by making her a prostitute or the land will turn to prostitution and be filled with wickedness. Verses 33 and 34, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native board. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Stand up in the presence of the aged, show respect for the elderly and revere your God. I am the Lord. So this is addressing vulnerable people, those with handicaps, young girls, immigrants, the elderly. They are more easily exploited and abused. Yeah. So holiness dictates that they should be treated with consideration and with love because they bear the same image as the holy God who we revere. Yeah. To curse the deaf, to trip the blind, to degrade your daughter, to oppress a foreigner, and to disrespect the aged are all examples of taking unfair advantage of people who cannot rise to their own defense. So holiness demands the protection for the vulnerable. Yeah, something we've talked about on this podcast before is our home church's shine ministry for Mm -hmm. people with disabilities. If you missed that episode, that would be a great one to go back and listen to. It's season two, episode 11. It was titled, Why Are Some People Born With Disabilities? So it's worth noting again, while you're Mm -hmm. talking about this element, this attribute of love, that love protects, that the church Mm -hmm. is absolutely called to walk in this same expression of love in the New Testament. James 1.27 says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, Mm -hmm. to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That's saying the same thing. Mm as we're reading in these various laws peppered through Leviticus 19, is that we are supposed to love the vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And another attribute and expression of love is that love pursues. So verses 17 and 18 say, Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly, so you will not share in their guilt. Verse 18, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So it's common today and apparently was common in the ancient Near East to hate people and hold grudges. Yeah. Um, and this is just simply, this is unholy because love instead 
seeks to right the relationship, to have hard and honest conversations, and to achieve reconciliation whenever it's possible. Yeah. So this involves taking your offense to the person who you're offended by and speaking to them directly and not spreading gossip, as we saw in verse 16, something that we hold strong to specifically across our church, but really with our staff and working behind the scenes is if I say, oh, well, you know, she's really getting on my nerves because she's not doing her job correctly and then it's putting more work on me. Well, I know I'm not going to go and tell you about that. I'm going to go tell them about that and just say, hey, listen, we got to we got to collaborate better. We got to work together because I'm kind of having to catch some slack and it's making it a little frustrating for me because I know that that's not part of our culture. I'm not gonna go say something about another person to someone else. I'm gonna take it straight to them because it doesn't need to go past beyond us two. Right. I'm not gonna hold that grudge. I'm just gonna have a hard and honest conversation about it so that then we can reconcile our issue. Yeah. So the Apostle Paul expressed this same thing in the New Testament in Romans 12, 17 through 18, and it says, "'Do not repay anyone evil for evil. "'Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone.'" If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Yeah. And the next element is that love sacrifices. So verse 9 says, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Something that, that I think is really interesting in that passage is that God gives that specific instruction not to harvest the outer edges, mm -hmm. but he doesn't actually define the measure mm -hmm. of the outer edges. Because if you're picturing a field and we're not going to harvest the outer edges, mm -hmm. the edge could be a sliver mm -hmm. or the edge could be a very wide row. So I right. want you to think about the implications here. Today, we are often very private about our generosity. Right. And that's a good thing, right? Mm -hmm. Because here's what Jesus taught in Matthew 6, 1 through 4. He said, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you have no reward in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So Jesus taught that, mm -hmm. and then he also taught mm -hmm. in John 13, 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Mm -hmm. And so as you're talking here about elements of holiness, mm -hmm. one of those is love, attributes of love, mm -hmm. one of those is sacrifice. This is such a cool picture of how a commitment to sacrificial love mm -hmm. in ancient Israel was clearly seen mm -hmm. in the width of the edges mm -hmm. of someone's field. Right. How much are you leaving behind? Mm -hmm. How much are you sacrificing to express that kind of love? Brotherly or sisterly love mm -hmm. in the community of God's people is expressed when we hold a sense of responsibility toward our Christian family. Yeah. That was a responsibility of ancient Israel was that you know that there are poor people among you. Mm -hmm. Jesus said the poor you will always have with you. As much as we would love to solve the problem of poverty mm -hmm. in a broken world where sin still exists, mm -hmm. where people still strive after power and excess while some go without, mm -hmm. poverty is going to be an enduring problem, but we can walk out holiness. Mm -hmm. We can be in God's presence 
as we as a Christian community come together to meet needs, Mm -hmm. even when it involves sacrificing our own wants. And we talked about that a little bit earlier in the book of Acts. This is what the New Testament Christians did. Acts 2.45 says they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So what we're seeing here Mm -hmm. is that every verse in Leviticus 19 is pointing us toward holiness even if culturally Mm -hmm. some of the references are obscure to us, they do have a new covenant fulfillment, a New Testament Christian community application. Mm -hmm. And I want us to consider why. Mm -hmm. Why was holiness so important then, and why is it still so important today? Well, number one, we've talked about this answer already. It's important so that we can be in God's presence. Mm -hmm. I mean, that really is the whole goal of everything that's going on from Genesis to Revelation is that God is trying to restore humanity to his perfect presence as it was with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden before sin broke the relationship. Mm -hmm. And that's how it ends in Revelation 22 is back in a perfect restored relationship in a garden. So The space that we talked about earlier, the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, it was so restricted that only the high priest could enter only one time a year. Like we said, you can read the whole recap in Hebrews chapter Mm 9 because God's presence requires holiness. Mm -hmm. And if we are going to enjoy the presence of God in relationship with him through Christ, we're going to have to pursue holiness. That's the main reason that it's so important. But it's also important because we are called to be reflections of God. We are his image bearers. And if his character is holy, Mm -hmm. then in order to reflect his character, we have to be holy. We are supposed to be like him. As Christians, our lives should reflect the presence of Jesus Christ. So we need solid conduct that stands in sharp contrast to the behaviors of the lost. There's Mm -hmm. the separateness you brought us in with. We need to conduct ourselves in upright and holy ways. And as recipients of God's grace, Mm -hmm. we should reflect God's characters in our lives and in his church. That doesn't mean that we are working to attain to salvation. We Mm -hmm. can't be that holy, but we should in an expression of gratitude and honor to God, Mm -hmm. which is a way that we love God, Mm -hmm. love honors. Like you said, we need to be walking in holiness that accurately reflects God's character. Mm -hmm. And a third reason that holiness is so important is because it attracts people to God. All of these instructions that we're reading in Leviticus calls to separateness and integrity and justice and love. The truth is, these are all things that are sorely Mm -hmm. lacking in our society. I mean, justice Mm -hmm. is something that is deprived to many people. Right. Uh, where we live, but but even more so, much more so mm-hmm. in other parts of the world where there is still um, much more oppression mm-hmm. than what we experience here. Right. And so our holiness in a society that lacks these things, mm-hmm. that lacks justice, love, integrity, makes the gospel attractive. And it makes the church a beacon where it's needed most, which is in the darkness, right? Yeah. So 3,500 years later, Mm -hmm. these teachings of Leviticus 19 are still timeless. They still have application for us today. Yeah, and we can continue to express separateness in our society by continuously walking differently, being called out, being in the world, but not being of the world. So 
even when it's not popular, even when it's not um, what everyone else is doing or what everyone else agrees with. We can continue to act in this separateness by following God's commands, even in a world where God's commands are not popular, not what most people are going to do. So that's how we can continue to pursue that separateness that we talked about in Leviticus 19. Well, and in a world where we constantly see integrity lacking and justice perverted, Mm -hmm. we can be beacons of justice by acting in ways that that do seek to restore that equilibrium, that Mm -hmm. do seek to bring the impoverished to prosperity. Mm -hmm. You know, something that we do here in our home church uh, from time to time is we'll hold large meal packs Mm -hmm. where we will pack tractor trailers filled with a quarter of a million meals. Mm -hmm. And we will send those to countries that are impoverished, under-resourced. And sometimes when we do that, you probably are dealing with this now before Mm -hmm. you were in that social media role, I was in it. And there would be comments that would, mm-hmm. would come up on our Facebook page, for instance. Why are you feeding 250,000 people in mm-hmm. Haiti when there are plenty of hungry people right here in America? Mm-hmm. And, and questions like that, I think, can sometimes cause us to, to question, well, what does justice look like? Is this mm-hmm. the right way to walk out justice? I think a good rule of thumb here is it's never wrong to do the right thing. Right. It's never wrong to feed the hungry. It's never wrong to vindicate the oppressed. When we are acting in ways that restore justice, as we've described in this episode, Mm -hmm. we are honoring God. That is a way that we walk out holiness. Yeah. And I think the last thing to address from this is obviously love, which we talked about so much in this entire passage and talking about how God's love is different from what our society calls love. Yeah. And especially our younger generation, Gen Z, which I am a part of, love is a very confusing idea. And it's confusing because it's been defined so differently by generations as they continue. And our generation, I think, just has a very tainted idea of what love is and what it's for. And we see based on scripture that God's love is honoring, it's pursuing, it's protecting, and it's sacrificial. But we live in a generation where they just, you know, people think that love is just you know, you like somebody and you say, I love you. And so we can see a drastic difference in God's love compared to what society calls love. And it's important for us to constantly pursue the biblical standard of love and not settle for the society standard of love. That's a good word. And we are going to be diving more into that in our next season, season three. We're actually going to do an entire series on love and yeah. marriage based in the book Song of Solomon. And that's coming up actually in just a few episodes. Yes. So we have spent the last 23 episodes answering all these Bible questions, including today, what in the world do I do with Leviticus chapter 19? Next week, we're going to have one more question that we're going to answer. Mm -hmm. And then we are going to transition into season three, where we're going to take on love and marriage walking all the way through the book Song of Solomon. But we really appreciate everyone who has participated in this season up to this point, submitting questions, giving us the opportunity to sit and unpack these with you. We do want to point you toward the Renew Resource Step into Scripture. That 
book has been the premise and basis for this podcast. And so many of the things that we've talked about here have been developed from passages in that book. And if you'd like to pick up a copy, you can get it at renew.org or it's available on Amazon. That's Step Into Scripture by Tina Wilson. So thank you all for joining us today. And we will see you back next week to answer one last question and round out season two of Step Into Scripture podcast.